Hi guys, Blaine Hooper here, uh, the planting resident at the bridge. My wife Ann and I are planting Christ Our Refuge Church in Sharpstown to welcome all people far from God into his family by sharing Christ's love, especially uh, first-generation immigrants and refugees. I'm really, really happy to be jumping back into preaching in this Mark series that we're in. If y'all remember, we've been sort of exploring two key themes uh, in every chapter of Mark. We're in Mark 10. We've been talking about how Jesus has been uh, the, the man who wears the crown, the, the one who is glorious, but he's also the one who wears a crown of thorns. He, he is a suffering servant. Last week, Andy talked about how God the Father uh, gave this glorious affirmation to Jesus, his beloved son, and we saw Jesus in glory with the disciples, and Jesus was so glorious, we didn't even know what to do with him, and the disciples were too. So I'm really, really excited to continue that discussion, but in a different way. This week, we're talking about the relationship between eternal life in Jesus' kingdom and being first in life. The relationship between eternal life in the kingdom and being first in life. So let's pray. God, teach us uh, to, to count our our days, that we might find a heart of wisdom. Teach us to count our things, um, and not in a way that uh, that inflames pride, but but that instead just is out of a heart of thankfulness, Lord. God, I, I pray that you would be with us, uh, that you would help us to concentrate on your word this morning or this evening, whenever we're listening to this, God. And I, I pray that you would just give me the words that you want me to speak, um, about eternal life, about this all-important topic. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So please open your Bibles to Mark 10, 17. Mark 10, 17. Now, in this, this passage, we're going to read about Jesus' encounter with a rich, young ruler. Now, while you're finding it, do you guys remember the Titanic? You probably do. The Titanic was this beautiful luxury cruiser that was 882 feet long and 92 feet wide at its widest. It was the largest ship in 1911 at the time that, that had ever been built. It had state-of-the-art technology. It had all of these uh, modern gadgets and it was beautiful. In fact, Shipbuilder Magazine said, ironically, they, they helped fuel a popular myth that the Titanic was unsinkable, that it could not be defeated uh, by nature. Now, we know that's not true. On April 15th, 1912, at 11.30 p.m., the RMS Titanic was cruising off the coast of Newfoundland with 2,240 souls on its maiden voyage from the UK to America. And along the way, it struck an iceberg, as we know, under the waterline, and it began to take on water. And even though it took three hours to sink this giant ship, the crew was not prepared at all for an evacuation and we know from movies or from documentaries that it was haphazard, it was disorganized, it was chaotic. And what's worse is that there were only 16 lifeboats. 16 lifeboats. That's enough for 1,178 people out of that 2,240. Ultimately, 705 people, mostly women and children, um, made it off that boat alive. Only one-third survived. It, it was a terrible tragedy that, that shocked the world. Imagine the whiplash, the, the shock of, of being on a, on a luxury cruise, 
uh, even though there were, yeah, there were different classes you could be on. Being on a luxury cruise to America in, in the safest, quote unquote, strongest ship that man has ever made. And then realizing in a moment that, that this gilded uh, steel ship was actually a tomb that was taking on icy water. On April 15th, 1912, if you're on the Titanic, rich, poor, or middling, you, you've got to face your doom. And you've got a problem you can't ignore that demands an answer. Um, you've got a need for salvation through a lifeboat. And, and you've got a fear that it will be impossible for you to make it off the boat alive. Wow. You know what did help your chances on the Titanic, though? Not surprisingly, money, status, importance. Uh, many of you know that 39% or, or at least almost half of the affluent first class made it out alive. They were the closest to the lifeboats. 58% on second class, unfortunately, perished. And 76% in the bottom or the steerage third class died. Money actually helped people out on the Titanic. And, and you know, the advantage, the importance of riches and wealth being, say, first or, or ahead is undeniable in this life, in this world, when we're facing tragedy. But what about the next life? What's the relationship between being important in this life and being important in the next life? Do the same rules apply? Because today in Mark 10, 17 through 31, we're going to talk about a tragic situation in Scripture, the story of a rich young ruler, a man with unlimited potential, who doesn't understand the relationship between being first or rich and, and, and being in heaven or the kingdom of God. Let's read and start off by uh, in, in Mark, set, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, that's Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. So this guy runs up to Jesus, and, and we know from the other Gospels actually that he's rich, that he's young, that he's in charge, the whole world is in front of him, but he's got a problem. He's, he's pretty perceptive. He's got a lot in this life, but he knows that he doesn't know where he's going. And notice what he asks. His, this young man's questions presuppose really two things. One, the certainty of judgment, of heaven or hell after death. And two, that humans must do something to earn heaven. He says, what must I do to earn heaven? Notice also, he asks, the way he asks, how he asks. He asks humbly, sincerely, on his knees, how do I get eternal life? Now, to give a little background, as a devout Jew, he believed that the Old Testament scriptures promised that the eternal life with God, heaven, is inextricably bound to the kingdom of Messiah. That, that God through the Messiah is going to deliver Israel from its enemies and heal the world and make everything wrong, uh, or everything that is wrong right again and preserve the people, the faithful people of God forever. So teacher, how, how do I get there? How do I live forever? Y'all, that's, as, as it was the most important question for people on the Titanic, how do I get out alive, right? This is the most important question in life. Right? We're all going to die. 100% of us are going to die. And, and we can hold our breath and deny it, but it won't stop the fact that today, when you woke up, you were one day closer to the end of your physical life. 
And this cuts across all barriers, whether, whether you're rich or poor or have a big family or alone or, 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 or an orphan or have parents or whether your short life is 20, 40, 60, 80 years, it will end. 100% of the people on that maiden voyage to the Titanic are dead, right? Tragically, two-thirds died at sea, but the rest died later. So what does Rabbi Jesus answer this man's question about the most important thing in existence? How does one earn eternal life with God? Jesus responds in expected and unexpected ways. Look at verse 18 through 22, starting with verse 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now that, that is very unexpected. Jesus opens by saying, who's good but God alone? You see, Jesus is, is stating or hinting the fact that human goodness isn't as deep. It isn't as, as great as we think. There's something about God's goodness, rich man, that you're not understanding. God requires a righteousness that is so much farther above our own for eternal life. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is an infinite distance in the goodness between man and God. In summary, young ruler, you're not good. But Jesus continues in verse 19. And 20, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler replies, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now that was an expected response from Jesus the rabbi, because as a young, educated Jewish man, he would welcome and is ready for the question, have you been a good boy, right? Because everybody knew and all the teachers of law and all the philosophers say the way you get in to heaven is by being a good boy or being a good girl, right? And so when Jesus asks, have you kept the external commandments, the ones that people see, we can hear the, the rich young ruler's audible sigh of relief. Oh, yes, I've done all this stuff, right? I, I've been a stand-up guy since I, I was a kid. I, I'm in. But there's a problem. Jesus isn't finished speaking. Jesus says there's much more to inheriting eternal life than external obedience. In verses 21 and 22, look at this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now that is totally unexpected. So much so that the rich young ruler, I mean, he goes away in extreme sorrow. See, Jesus didn't ask everyone he met in the Gospels to give up their stuff. So why does he really ask this guy? Why, why does he, what does he lay on this extra commandment of giving everything up and, and following him? See, what Jesus has done has trapped the rich young ruler in revealing his deepest sin his deepest barrier uh, to, to life with God forever. You know, and, and, and he wants the rich young ruler to realize that his most important, his most cherished thing in life are his things. Without knowing it, this rich, promising young man had been committing a great sin in his heart, blasphemy, 
by breaking the first commandment over and over and over and over. And the first commandment of the ten is you shall have no other gods before me. Wealth, possessions were this man's God. And he cannot even give up, um, even give this wealth up to get a seat on the lifeboat to the kingdom. Even standing before the Son of God, the one who actually owns everything. You know, one thing not mentioned about the tragedy of the Titanic is that many people uh, wouldn't listen to the crew to get on the lifeboats. They thought the Titanic is unsinkable. We're, we're going to ride it out. We're going to be fine. And so several lifeboats were actually lowered into the ocean without full passengers. They could have saved uh, at least half of the people if people had listened to the crew. That's a hard pull to swallow. But Jesus has yet uh, more challenging things to say. And you might say at this point, time out, we still haven't answered the question related to our biggest problem. Like, how do I, what do I do to stay out of hell and, and get eternal life? And instead of answering directly, Jesus in his way is actually going to poke the stick in even farther. Let's keep going. Verse 23 through 26. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who could be saved? These are very challenging words from Jesus. And the disciples are shocked. They are astonished. And Jesus says three times, It's impossible for rich people, very, very, very difficult, to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that astonishing? Well, um, the theology of the time said, according to the disciples' viewpoint, if you're rich, then obviously you're doing something right and God's blessing you. And on the other hand, if you're poor, well, it's because you deserve it and God is mad at you. And we might say, guys, that's appalling. You know, we never believe in that. Did you know that 71% of Americans greatly admire rich people because of their, their goodness, their hard work, their ingenuity, etc.? Did you know, on the other hand, uh, that at least 60% of Americans believe the major cause of poverty is laziness, lack of motivation. Poor people are poor because they deserve it. Now, whether you, you may not have that viewpoint, you, you may, but, but there is a prevalent viewpoint in America that, that rich people are great and poor people are not. And we absolutely, I think, buy into the lie that, that first people, elites, the successful people are in fact the best and deserve to be treated the best. And that hasn't changed since Jesus or the Titanic. That's been the world's value for a long time. And you might be thinking, also, I'm not Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Beyonce. I mean, I'm, I'm not rich. Listen, guys, uh, if you make $50,000 a year or more, as most people do that, that are uh, listening to this message, you actually are more wealthy than 90% of the people that have ever existed, that have ever walked this earth. Out of the 100 billion people who've ever walked this earth, you're more wealthy than 90% of them. In fact, you're probably, in real terms, way, way more wealthy than the rich young ruler that Jesus said could not be saved. You need to be shocked, amazed, astonished. You need to be leaning in when Jesus says the rich can't be saved because he's probably talking to you and me. 
And so you and I need to admit, we want to be first class in life. I, I don't want to be slumming it in coach, right? And it's not just about leg room and free drinks. I'm a tall guy, I need leg room. But look, it's about pride and prestige. And that's what Jesus is saying is so dangerous about wealth. I mean, eternally dangerous, damning. Jesus doesn't say riches are bad in themselves, and he, he's not saying grinding poverty is good either. There's no poverty in the kingdom. What Jesus is saying is that riches are very, very, very dangerous for us sinful humans because they inflame our pride, our sense of importance. They lull us into a, a sense, a false sense of security. I mean, who needs God when, when, I, when I have all my stuff, my, my comforts, my power, my influence over people, my agency? I, I mean, I can write a check and my problems go away. Fundamentally, the issue here that Jesus is dealing with is that it's impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of God because they are insufferably, rebelliously proud. It is impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of God because they are insufferably, rebelliously proud. And as sincere as the rich young ruler was, he didn't want to give it all up for Jesus, did he? He wasn't ready for, for a life change, a change of lordship from self to Jesus. He wanted a tweak, a small change that would be necessary to get into the kingdom. Like maybe I missed a rule or something. And y'all, if you view salvation as only a transactional thing, um, then this is going to be hard for you. Salvation is just as much about me coming off the throne of my life and putting Jesus on the throne of my life as it is um, about, the, say, a moment of faith. Or we could say that, that faith is inextricably uh, united to humility. This rich young ruler's pride and his firstness, his preeminence, his possessions killed him forever. And listen to me. I know in the Titanic and the world, it is undeniable that money and prestige and class helps you, but not in Jesus' kingdom. In fact, it does the reverse. This is so dangerous. Your, your, your place, your status, your wealth actually hurt your chances greatly of receiving eternal life with God because you will want those things more than you want to obey Jesus. The Bible says you cannot serve God and money. That's scary, right? That's scary. So we, we all need to take stock. If you're a church person or an unchurched person, we need to take stock right now and, and maybe run a diagnostic test. How do I know if I'm worshiping wealth and possessions and not Jesus? How do I know? How do I know that I want the materially blessed life, the first life, more than I want Jesus? Well, let's ask a couple questions, a few questions. One, do I have problems spending large amounts of money on others for things that matter? Am I cheap? Am I cheap? Two, do I hoard? Things, money, possessions, houses, whatever, far above what I need. And you might stop me here and say, Blaine, you know, maybe that was the past generation. Like, I'm a dreamer, man. I'm not like in the boomer rat race. I mean, my shoes were made sustainably, ethically, ecologically by an indigenous tribal co-op in Peru. But really, listen, this question might get you. Analyze your last 10 purchases. Non-grocery, non-utility, non-necessities. Ask yourself, look at your credit card bill. What was I trying to buy? Was I trying to buy something that only Jesus can provide? 
that exercise might reveal, that might surface an idol or two. Newsflash, just because we buy different stuff than previous generations, or others even, it doesn't make us more righteous. It doesn't mean we worship wealth or prestige or be in first class any less than, than other people. Jesus is really clear that we cannot be first in this world without losing life in the next. You gotta get life by giving it up. That's what Jesus says. And our passage isn't through though. There is consolation that Jesus gives his true disciples. Um, after they ask the question, if the best people, right, if the most moral people in our eyes can't be saved, then, then who can be saved? I mean, that's a legitimate question. In Mark 10, 27 through 31, here's what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Many who are first will be last and the last first. That's incredible. There, there is actually real, I hope you saw it, consolation and hope that those who sacrifice their will, their self, to follow Jesus, to put him on the throne of their life, they'll be rewarded and in more ways than we think in this life and the next. And it's true that salvation through riches, through human effort, is impossible. Salvation is impossible for the best of us. But it's not impossible for God. God has sent Jesus to do the impossible uh, to those far from him who couldn't save themselves, um, to people who didn't even know how false and how wicked and how idolatrous our hearts were. Jesus came. He lived a life that, that we couldn't. He died the death we deserved in our place. He chose to become last so that we could be in his kingdom for you and me to die, to give us hope, a meaningful, beautiful life, no matter what social class we're in and what's much, much, much more, an eternal inheritance in God's kingdom. And so the Lord Jesus, because he has chosen to be last, he is first. He is given the name that is above every single name and his reputation and his honor and his glory and his fame are forever. And so Jesus must be first in your life and my life. And if he's not, then we're in trouble. Now, now, good news, guys. You don't have to repeat the tragedy of the rich young ruler. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Um, could be a day of repentance for you. Um, even if you believe in Jesus, it's possible that, that you have been living your life for status, for wealth, for possessions. And so do those that are beginning to realize that you're full of the pride of life. Guys, welcome to the club. Jesus offers to you good news. He says in Mark 2, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, whether for the first time or after a long time or again this week. Jesus says to you, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from yourself. Let's pray. God, 
Lord Almighty, teach us not to be proud, not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on you who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Spirit, please show us how to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. We pray in the name that is above every name. Lord Jesus, thank you. Amen.